Okay, uh, welcome everyone. I will call the regular town council meeting of July 25th to order at 5.04 p.m. And so we're ready to begin. So we have the agenda in front of us. Are there any additions or deletions? And then your worship. Great. Okay, would someone like to move the acceptance of the agenda? Councillor Carr, thank you. All those in favor? Councillor Shannon? In favor, sorry, I got it now. Oh, good. Thank you. Okay, it is carried then. So now we have the minutes of July 11th, and you've had a chance to have a look at them. Anyone have any um, suggestions about changes there? If not, if someone would please move the acceptance of those minutes. Councillor Good, thank you. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you, it is carried. Public hearings, we don't seem to have any. Presentations, okay, so we have a presentation from Councillor Good on the Provincial and Regional Assessment Analysis. So if you would like to start, please. Shared for everybody right now? No. Because uh, we're not locked into Teams. Yeah, we're, we're not locked into Teams, so you, if you'll be following along on the main screen. Yeah. Um, Shelly, can you see the. Uh, yes, I, thought, I, I have the presentation in front of me too, though. Okay, it's, a, it's a, a little different version than you have in front, but most of it is the same. Okay. So, so is there any way I can share this? We'd have to have everyone log into oh, the Teams okay. meeting. I just published it. Okay, we're on. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Councillor Shannon, it's the updated version is now on Civic Web. Yes. Okay, no, that's fine. I'll go get it. Don't worry. Hit refresh. Okay, um, I guess I'll start from here. And this was basically a presentation that was developed over a number of years. And, um, keeps getting updated as new information comes along and kind of new perspectives and originally started off very very quickly from a couple of questions that i had from on council years and years back which is why are municipalities always scrapping what is the difference why are there kind of disagreements between them and a basic assumption that all of the people that i met from the councils that I met were really, really good people. And it was the perspectives that they were looking at things from, you know, and, and the change in perspectives, I think, determined their points of view, which is totally and absolutely understandable. So I decided that 
what I would do is take a look at a bunch of numbers, and I have to give some thanks here to, um, one, the provincial government at the time, the conservative provincial government um, originally, um, at the end, same with the um, government after that, the NDP, and, and again, currently, I have to give thanks to them for making this information available. The municipal finance information system we have in Alberta, I think, is incredibly open incredibly transparent and gives everybody access to very much the same data with, to look at. And I like that because it makes it so there's less chance of misunderstandings and also less chance of twisting it around. So that's where it started. And I started off from this to my mind, which was a very simple belief. That Alberta citizens contribute to the wealth and prosperity of the province in which they live, work and play. and deserve an equitable voice in how that wealth should be apportioned, an equitable benefit from its resources, and an equitable share in its prosperity. And to me, that's very, very simple. I don't think that this, this in itself is a controversial statement. One thing I learned very early on is that Alberta is divided. We are, we are divided into roughly a little under 350 competitive municipalities where you're competing for everything to the people beside you. Energy resources and other resources in Alberta are not defined by borders of municipalities. And how people live, work, and play is also, nowadays, not defined by borders. Those borders are for administrative purposes. This is um, a map of forestry resources in Alberta. And you'll see that there are two kind of clear areas. One up in the top left, which is basically around our area, and one in the bottom, bottom right. There's almost a, a negative positive version of this same map, which is agriculture in Alberta. The bottom right almost mirrors the previous slide. And the same with the map of our area, almost mirror is a mirror image of the two slides. And agriculture right now uses approximately one third of Alberta's land mass. And this, the next slide is basically Alberta as many people see it. We are a beautiful province. We are a varied province and, and it's an absolutely wonderful place to live. But Alberta has changed over the years. In 1920, the Alberta, the GDP from agriculture was roughly 75%. Of the GDP of Alberta probably came 75% from agriculture. It was by far and away the major industry of Alberta. It was the driver of the Alberta economy and the main driver. But there's been a change since then. It's gone from roughly 75% of the GDP to the latest numbers are roughly 2.2% of the GDP of Alberta is from agriculture. And by the way, that's agriculture combined with forestry. So it's not that it's a minor player, it's not that it's a minimal player, but it is not the driving force behind the Alberta economy that it was in 1920. 
This is a breakdown to some extent. You can see agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting is 2.2%. It's actually one of, the, one of the smaller measured sectors of the Alberta economy. But again, it's an important one. But information and cultural industries in Alberta are the equivalent GDP to agriculture. And I'm not pointing that out to denigrate agriculture in any way, any more than I'm saying it should be building up information and cultural industries. It's just two independent facts of what drives Alberta's economy. Agriculture industry now accounts for 2% of total employment. That's been mildly mild decrease since 2019. It's expected to drop down almost another percent or 0.7% by 2023. And these are all the sources are Alberta agriculture industry profile and Alberta labor force statistics. Population of Alberta in 1900, 75% rural, which basically goes along with 75% of the GDP. Right now, in 2022, it is now 81% urban instead of 75% rural. That's from Alberta population 2022. It's one of the latest numbers that's available. It was from July this year. So what happened? What caused this? Well, a market or marked increase, a change in the economy occurred in 1947 with uh, Leduc number one, when oil started to become a major player. But interestingly enough, and this is not in the slides, Alberta had already become 50% rural and 50% urban by 1950. So it wasn't a three-year change from 1947 to 1950 of the urban transition. That had occurred, started occurring a long time before oil and gas kind of made the, hit the scene. So basically follow the money. One of the best lines I ever heard is that assessment is the food of municipalities. It's what municipalities use to generate their revenues. And assessment becomes dollars. We take assessment, we apply mill rates to it, we apply factors to it, we use that to generate the money that we all need to provide the services that are provided throughout the province. The assessment types are residential, farmland, non-residential, non-residential linear, rail railway and machinery and equipment. Um, I've sort of simplified that into industrial and other taxes. And here's who has the, pays the rate provincially. About half of the assessment in the province is residential. Roughly 30% is non-residential which in terms of uh, conversationally, if you want to put it that way, you can say it's small business. Industrial, roughly 20%. Farmland right now is about 1% of the assessment base. This is farmland's proportion of provincial property tax revenues in 2021, roughly 1%. Now this is an industry that's using roughly one-third of Alberta's land mass and generating 1% of its uh, property tax revenues. And again, this is not to denigrate agriculture. Every jurisdiction in the world protects its agriculture because it's intrinsic to people's survival. 
they protect it, they make sure that it's not overtaxed because you need food and you need agriculture to survive. It's a key component. If we had everything else and we had no agriculture, we would be starving to death. So it's, it's again, it's very important. And I have no problem with lower taxation on agriculture. I think it's reasonable and reasonable to take a look at. This is farmland's portion of provincial property tax revenues in the rural municipalities. It's under 3% of their revenues, even in the rural municipalities. So we take a look at where, where their property tax revenues come from. Well, in the urban municipalities, it's roughly 60%, 61% from residential, 40%, 37 to 40% from the small business or the land improvements or what's commonly termed non-residential, 2% from industrial, and um, almost nothing from farmland, which is no surprise, very few farms in urban areas. Rural is roughly 23% from residential. Um, and by the way, that's including counties like uh, Strathcona County, et cetera, in the um, rural, even though you can take a look at Sherwood Park and say it's anything but rural, but you have to draw the line somewhere. 18% comes from the small business, 57% from industrial revenues, and 2.6, I mentioned earlier, a little under 2.8, 2.6%. That the differences in the number are basically when you measure 2020, 2020, 2021. This is the change in access to industrial property taxes in the province from 1996 to 2021. In 1996, the urban municipalities um, accessed about, about $100 million in industrial property tax revenues while the rural municipalities um, accessed around $446 million. In 2021, the urban municipalities had gone from 100 million to roughly 1.42 million, let's say one and a half million, um, 150 million, pardon me, while the rurals had gone from the $446 million to 1.4 million, which is quite a change in access to industrial property tax revenues. These are statements from the AMD and C historically. And these were, this was quite a while ago, but I haven't met anything that's changed the point of view. Um, that the, the statement is um, that all of these developments come with an attached cost to the municipalities. In other words, if you have oil wells, you have industry, there's attached cost to that. And you need those revenues to address the costs which accompany that development. And the committee at the time strongly opposed any suggestion which would re reduce the current level of local control and access to the local assessment base. Uh, well, to an extent, I agree with the discussion about local control and access to a local assessment base. Well, I might disagree on the definition of what is local. But here's a comment from Melville McMillan. He's a PhD, Master of Science, Bachelor of Arts, Professor, Department of Economics, University of Alberta, and the statement was made in 2006. I've spoken to him and he hasn't changed his opinion on this. Linear property taxes, which is basically machinery, basically the industrial taxes, are associated with no or at best relatively little additional expenditure. Their effect is much like that of an unconditional grant to a community. 
essentially all, or at least most, of those taxes go to reducing other municipal property taxes. Now, we always hear about roads, and the um, RMA has recently said that they wouldn't mind the discussion about reallocating the resources, but they think it should be based on roads in Alberta because According to their latest numbers, and I'm just going to pull this up on the phone here because I have it in front of me. I think they, sorry, every time you leave your phone alone, it goes to sleep on you. Um, their comment is that the rural municipalities have 77% of Alberta's roads and 61% of its bridges. Those numbers are actually fairly accurate. They are accurate numbers. So, but if you take a look, the number, of, the amount of roads that they maintain has actually dropped since 1996 when they started off with the lower access to the industrial taxes. But here's the population change in Alberta from the same period of time. In 1996, 2.7 million, 2.8 to roughly 4.5 million. So that's roughly I don't know, 150 million people, a bit more, 150, 170 million people, of which 80% falls into the into the urban municipalities. So that's quite an increase in the load or the service, the necessity to provide services that have also occurred during that time. So I think it can be credibly argued that the present access to assessment and the economic health and viability of numerous municipalities in Alberta is largely based on two factors, history and happenstance. History, because of the, the concept of villages, uh, towns, cities, and municipalities that was developed in the early part of the century. And happenstance, the luck of what's in your area. In other words, we know that, that farmers plant crops, no argument. But no one I've ever met planted oil. And it's just the luck of the draw. If you have a lot of oil in your municipality, and you're a large municipality, you have access to a tremendous amount of industrial wealth. That uh, one of the comments was made when this was brought up at the legislature was, well, when, when it said that there's no cost to this development, that's not really true. I've never said that there is no cost to this development. In fact, I don't think anybody would make that statement. What, we, what has been pointed out by many is that the costs, the input costs, are substantially lower for the industrial property tax revenues than they are for the other forms of property tax or assessment basis. The residential and the small businesses need a tremendous amount of services, input costs, in order to generate any revenue. So basically, this is a rephrasing of what I just said, history because of the governance model of housing. You have to remember, at that time, the idea was that villages were embryonic towns, and towns were embryonic cities. It was the expansion, the, the growth in the, the growth of the, uh, the industrial population, the growth of the West, was that these were supposed to be kind of become towns and cities and grow and grow and grow. I don't think the model is necessarily working for us today. So here's some results that I took a look at throughout the province. This is in St. Paul and Bonneville area. 
The urban population is made up of the towns of St. Paul, Bonneville, and Elba Point, and the village of Glendon. The rural population is made up of Embiid, Bonneville, and the county of St. Paul. And I've had a number of people ask me, well, why do you include the villages with the, with the urbans? Doesn't that sway the numbers quite a bit? I can do the numbers both ways. It's less than 1%. In fact, it's exceedingly less than 1% when you change those models in any of these areas. Population is in this one, 14,000 plus urban and 19,000 plus rural. The rural population has benefited over 86% of the total property tax revenues and 99% of the industrial property tax revenues. In terms of industrial, the three towns and a village access for roughly $400,000 a year, while the rural municipalities access $86 million. In terms of total property tax revenues, the three towns and a village access $16 million, while the rural municipalities access $102 million. I think there's some disparities there. Drayton Valley, you can take a look again. They're almost identical in terms of population. The, rural, the industrial revenues are roughly 2.1 million for the urbans and 19 million for the rural. Total property tax revenues of 10 million, 10.5 million for the urbans and 23 million plus for the rural municipalities. Wainwright. Wainwright's an interesting one to analyze because the town of Wainwright is almost dead center to the county of Wainwright. So when we're talking about service provision, Wainwright serves the county of Wainwright, county of Wainwright serves Wainwright, one's in the middle of the other. Why is there, I'll talk about this after, we have a dividing line. Anyways, population 6270 urban, um, 4479 rural. Rural population has the benefit of 78% of the total property tax revenues, 98.9% of the industrial revenues. And in terms of the industrial revenues, the town gets $200,000 roughly, and the rural municipality accesses $19 million plus. In terms of total revenues, the town accesses $6 million, while the rurals access $23 million. That's if you don't pay any attention to whether it's residential, industrial, whatever it is total. So one more, the Peace Region. Well, our Peace Region is made up of the, the rural, the urban in this case was made up of the town of Peace River, town of Grimshaw, town of Manning, and the villages of Nampa and Berwyn. Rural is made up of the counties of Northern Sunrise and Northern Lights and the MD of Peace. Population is 1,100 urban, uh, 7,200 rural. The rural population gets 75% of the total property tax revenues and 98.6 of the industrial revenues. In terms of the industrial revenues, the five urban municipalities access $516,000, while the rural municipalities access $36 million. In terms of total property tax revenues, the urban municipalities access $15.9 million, while the rural municipalities access $49 million. Stopping for a second just to keep my slide in front of me here. So perhaps it's time to examine and reinvent Alberta's governance and distribution models to create an environment that is, along with being conducive to the attraction of business 
in Alberta, beneficial to the greatest number of Albertans. And in the past, we have divided the province based on occupation and trade. And I'm not sure that that's working for the province, and I'm not sure it's working for the people of Alberta. Where do we want the, I think questions we have to ask is, where do we want the province to be in 25, 50, or even 100 years? What structures should be, be in place to best answer that question? I think we can show that the structures we have in place aren't answering the question at all reasonably. And are we courageous enough to face the question and is failure to do so an acceptable option? So I'm going to bring a point here. In the, while we recognize that the rural municipalities have 75% of Alberta's roads and 61% of its bridges, again, an accurate statement, the urban municipalities have 80% of the population, which means that they have 94% of the police costs, 81% of the fire costs, 98% of the public transit costs, 93% of the storms, sewers, and drainage costs, 75% of the water supply and distribution costs, 80% of the wastewater treatment and disposal costs, and 81% of family and support services cost. To say nothing about having 58% of the roads, streets, walks, and lighting costs. So while the urban rurals might have the larger number of roads, the costs are much more evenly split because roads are different in urban municipalities than they are in urban. And as I've said before, I don't believe we should divide the province or have this discussion based on the number of roads in Alberta. I also don't believe it should be something as simplistic um, or in my mind ridiculous as just a population split. While it would work for some of the urbans, it doesn't work for all and certainly doesn't work on, on a regional basis. But I was very lucky to have read a report from 2021 called The Fiscal Challenges Facing Alberta's Municipality. This is from the School of Public Policy, pardon me, at University of uh, Calgary. I spelled Calgary wrong, sorry. Uh, Bev Dalby, he's a former professor of economics at the University of Alberta from 1978 to 2012, a distinguished fellow in, in tax and economic growth in the School of Public Policy, and, and also co-authored by Melvin McMillan, who I gave some of his credentials earlier. This is available if you go to the Albert, the um, School of Public Policy and the link is in, the, in here. And here's his statement. He says the challenges that need to be discussed, the balance between residential and non-residential taxes, and he talked about, to a large extent, the disparate burden that we place on our businesses and, not, and over instead of on residential. We've noticed a lot of municipalities have very, very skewed residential and business rates. Business rates are allowed right now to be, I think, quite a bit, well, almost double or triple or quadruple higher than the residential rates. And that does put a, put a burden on small business. So much so that the province has now come up with a new category called where a lot of municipalities have actually got a small business um, mill rate independent of the other um, non-residential mill rates talks about the taxes on linear properties and machinery equipment taxes that are levied on oil and gas properties. I think those two things are very, very well worth discussion if we want to protect 
the viability of business in our province. But he said also the municipalities face other fiscal challenges. The uneven distribution of non-residential property taxes across revenues. The level of provincial education property tax. The regulation of differential tax rates between residential and non-residential property. The assessment of agricultural property. A lot of agricultural property is, one, assessed but not taxed, and a lot of it is not even assessed. And a farm, a farm can write off its housing unit against its farm unit. So you can write off your farm to a large extent against your, your house, pardon me, where you live in residential. You can write that off against your farm. But a person who has a business in town can't write his business in town off against his house. He can if he has an office in it, but that's quite a different situation. And the sharing of municipal services and tax on a regional basis. And the level of allocation of provincial, tra provincial transfers. These are all worthy of discussion. And again, all I'm saying is that we should have that discussion openly with everything on the table, all the numbers on the table. Let's take a look at the service costs and where the services are provided, who they're provided to. Let's take a look at all of those factors and have an open and honest discussion because I think it's very necessary to take this province um, in the direction it needs to take over the next number of years. Thank you very much for your time, and are there any questions from any of the councillors at this point? Uh, Councillor Shannon, do you have any questions? Not at this time, and very good. Um, enjoyed that, Don. thank you. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate the time that everybody's given me to bring this presentation to you. Well done, Don. Thank you. So, who said that? I did. Oh, thank you. So, thank you, Councillor Good. A lot of uh, detailed information there to digest and uh, have conversations about with many, many others, shall we say. Thank you again. Okay, our next uh, item bylaws. We have no bylaws, uh, Ms. Bell. Oh. And your worship. Unfinished business, we don't appear to have any of that either. And um, the next uh, part for new business, we have um, uh, RFD for tax penalty relief request with Mr. Webster. We, for presentations, we usually just, we just have them, we don't receive them for information or worship. Want to make a motion as such? I move that we receive the presentation for information. Okay, so Deputy Mayor Scammerhorn moves that we receive the uh, presentation, provincial and regional assessment analysis for information. Would all people be in favor of that receipt? In favor. Thank you. It is carried. Okay, so. Uh, Mr. Websdale, tax penalty relief request. Thank you, Your Worship. This is a request for the cancellation of a tax penalty by a taxpayer that lost their spouse just around the time of the taxes being due. And uh, it's compliant with the terms of the policy that was passed by Council back in March. And 
the relevant section is part of this section 6.1, where a death may be a family of the property owner occurred within 21 days prior to the due date. So it's certainly compliant with the, re with the policy as it's written, and thus there's a recommendation from administration that council would consider approving this as presented. And the way the policy is written, it says council may consider, so it's very much in council's jurisdiction, if you will, to accept it. So is there any questions on this request? Councillors? Someone care to make a motion to move this forward? Councillor Good? I'll move the I'll move the recommendation that council approve the proposed tax penalty or cancellation. Thank you. Any further discussion? Okay, all those in favor of Councillor Good's motion? Aye. It is carried. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Websdale. Uh, next, we have uh, RFD with uh, titled Dinner Under the Bridge, August 6, 2022, Bell Marketing Agency and Interim CAO Bell. Thank you, Your Worship. Uh, as per the report before Council this evening, Council has received an invite to a fundraising event on August 6th, hosted uh, through the Bell Centre under the bridge, or dinner under the bridge on the pedestrian pathway. Um, the invite includes a request of purchasing a table of either eight or 10 with varying costs uh, for each level, also an option to buy individual tickets if Council chooses. Uh, before you are a number of options based on um, essentially, based on the availability of council to attend the event uh, and the recommendation as such. And I see from the uh, briefing note that um, the net proceeds will be donated to the following charities and groups, namely the Peace River and District Health Foundation, the Peace River Food Bank, and local service groups. So Correct. there would be the net proceeds that go there. Okay, uh, councillors, any discussion? I just have one question, yes. Mayor Manager. Yeah. So we did uh, suspend our grants to groups. So how do we navigate something like this? Because I imagine now with um, everything opening up, there's going to be a lot of fundraisers that we're invited to. And is there some kind of uh, process or protocol how we go about choosing what goes through that? So um, uh, we're just having a little discussion in the room about uh, the um, thermostat here, Councillor Shannon. But with respect to your question, Councillor Shannon, the suspension of the Grants to Groups uh, program and its relationship to this sort of thing. Um, Ms. Bell, can you speak to that? Absolutely. So within the council budget, there's a sponsorship category. So typically these types of requests come out of that budget and not out of the council grants program, which is suspended. Oh, okay. I was just wondering how we, um, I, I didn't realize we still had sponsorship yes. available at the there is still some small sponsorship dollars. For example, we would have used the same GL code for the Chamber of Commerce 12 Foot Davis events, or 12 Foot Davis awards ceremony back in January, I believe it was. So they, we have a, a slightly different code and budget amount for those types of activities. These are very, very typical 
uh, Rotary will host an event, the Chamber of Commerce, quite a number of community, larger community agencies will host events that we budget for some sort of participation at some level of council members. Okay, yes. I just wanted to know the absolutely the, yeah, how it yeah. how it related to the other thing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And and partly it's also part of the recommendation of your administration that you make a purchase based on your actual attendance and not these large purchasing of tables um, if no one is actually able to attend per se. So so um, for that reason I'll ask right now, um, August sixth is uh, uh, next Saturday or something like that two Saturdays from now um, isn't it? okay so just a show of interest or possibilities which counselors would be interested in attending or able to is the other okay so I have counselor good uh, counselor Boychuk Um, probably myself, Councillor Shannon, are you interested in attending or able to? I'm not able to, thank you. Okay, so thus far we have uh, three councillors and I don't know if that includes uh, significant others. I'll be, I'll be, I'd like to bring my wife, I will pay for my wife's ticket. So, so I, I, but I'd like to sit with me. So we would say three, three councillors thus far. Councillor Boychuk, what is your thought? You had your hand up? Were you? No? Are you interested in coming? Yeah. I'll be there with just, on my own Okay. Okay. So just for information, it looks like there's three counselors, including myself, who might attend. So if somebody wants to move us forward with a motion, um, maybe including Miss um, Bell's thoughts on numbers of tickets, that would be helpful. Is there uh, representation? Because occasionally at these events, there's administration also send some representatives to um, I'll move that we do a table of eight and then hmm. that would allow for plus ones and Nickman can maybe deal with the yeah. rest. I would really suggest that we buy tickets by tickets. I know table of eight we're kind of donating to the big cause but we've also had uh, past experience table of eight and three are sitting there. I'll sit with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, sorry, not to. Okay, so Councillor, um, Deputy Mayor Scamahorn has moved that a table of eight be purchased. Admin, do you, any of you at this point in time think that you might want to attend? I'd love to attend. Somebody else is cooking, you know. <laughs> I would show up. Okay, so possibly two. Yeah. Okay, so that makes five. You can't buy three more? <laughs> Is my wife sitting there? I'm paying uh, for it. Keep she would be five plus one. Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Well, traditionally, the plus ones have been included in the. Just. Well, I've already committed to doing it, so. I understand, but I'm just. Okay. As a for my recollection of how this has been done, which isn't as long as others, perhaps, but it's been. Okay, your, your motion right now says purchase a table of eight. Is that your motion? That is my motion. Okay, a table of eight would cost how much? 600. 600, and five tickets would be five times, 
Anyways, okay, so the motion is table of eight. All those in favor of that motion. Okay, all those opposed? Aye. Okay, so we have three in favor, three opposed. The motion is defeated. Somebody care to rephrase this on this topic? Councillor Good. I'll move that we purchase five tickets. Okay, thank you, Councillor Good. Any further comments on that motion? Okay, we have a motion to purchase five tickets. All those in favor of that motion? Aye. Okay, it is carried. So thank you. The understanding is Mr. Good would be purchasing his own extra ticket and uh, asking that his wife people sit at her table. <laughs> Very good. Okay, thank you. And this should be an interesting um, event. I hope the weather cooperates and et cetera, et cetera. Your Worship, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, would you include an enabling motion for yourself to bring greetings on behalf of the, oh, right. or a designate on behalf of the town? That was one of their asks. Correct. Someone cared to enable that. Thank you, Councillor Good. Councillor Good moves that the mayor be enabled to bring uh, greetings, etc., on behalf of the town. All those in favor? Aye. Great, thank you. It is carried. So, wish him well. Okay, next one we have a memorandum of understanding with respect to the RCMP and the community peace officers. And speaking to this is uh, Chief Harris. Thank you, Your Worship and Council. Um, so this, uh, in order to comply with the Peace Officer Ministerial Regulation, uh, the Town of Peace River is required to have a memorandum of understanding with the Police Service of Jurisdiction. Um, for this area, the Police Service of Jurisdiction is the RCMP. Um, and then the, the scope of the memorandum of understanding is to just establish the terms of the arrangement between the town and the RCMP as it pertains to the community peace officers. Um, part of the MOU just looks at uh, how peace officers communicate with the RCMP, share knowledge, and uh, cooperate on law enforcement matters in the town. Um, when we started the peace officer program in 2017, there was a similar MOU in place. It's a five-year term, and that MOU has now expired, and uh, this MOU is basically the same as some slight changes to the wording, dealing with the communications, with the changes in technology, um, and this is another five-year term, and it is dated uh, July 1st, to uh, 2022 to July to June 30th, 2027. Um, identified in the MOU is the departmental representatives, being the mayor and the police commissioner, and those are the ones required to sign the document. So the request is for council to approve the mayor to sign the MOU with the RCMP. Thank you, councillors. Any comments, questions? So someone could move us along with the motion. Um, 
The motion would be that council approve the mayor signing the memorandum of understanding between the community peace officers with the RCMP on behalf of the town and the term being July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2027. Councillor Carr, so moves. Okay, any further comments? All those in favor of that motion? Aye. Thank you, Chief Harris. Thank you. You will sign. Okay, then we have um, uh, Director Bell uh, with the Council Strategic Plan. Thank you, Your Worship. The request for direction this evening is in regards to public engagement for Council Strategic Plan. Um, Council hosted an open house in June, June 20th. Uh, we had a small um, attendance of four individuals and we received um, uh, some two or three comments, uh, written documented comments from those participants. The question before Council this evening is sort of your preferred next steps. Would you like to continue and uh, look to the community for further input and feedback on the strategic planning process? If that is something Council would like to do, administration does recommend we look into September. The July-August months are not um, as successful in terms of engagement. We could also look at excuse me, an online process survey type as opposed to in-person open house um, that might be more successful through August and into early September. The other option for public engagement is to um, sort of roll out the strategic plan in line with maybe some budget conversations in September. Um, but we couldn't push that very late as we're moving into budget process in early fall. We don't want to push those timelines very far. So we're caught in a bit of a time crunch in a sense. Um, and, and council does have the other option at this point to say we've, we're happy with the product, uh, we can adopt the strategic plan as is, and you always have a review process annually through your strategic planning process and you can still public engagement doesn't end just because you've done it once you have opportunities for an ongoing process so looking to council to provide administration some direction and thoughts of your preferred next steps and um, likely at budget time there would be more opportunity at that point for those deliberations as they follow through from the strategic plan right? yes Absolutely. Uh, Councillors, uh, your thoughts and taking in, in I take note of um, Mrs. Bell's uh, comment about the further we delay um, strategic plan, the more impacts on next year's budget and we had really hoped that we would get that budget discussion started in more detail earlier, earlier this year. Uh, Councillor Good, you have a comment? Yeah. Um, I like I, I really like the idea of adopting the trash strategic plan as it is. We've had a lot of talk about it. We have had the opportunity for people to, to take part in it. And as Director Bell comments, it's not a it's not a dead document and it's not something where you don't take input in. And I think it allows us to proceed with our budget discussions with a kind of a focus on, on what we're doing. 
Um, I like, I really like the options for next step. Uh, Director Bellew pointed out, like the online survey, the second open house. I don't see any reason why not having both. Um, presentation of the of the draft once it's finalized to the chamber and Rotary and other organizations make it, make offers to do that. And what basically is the all of the above scenario. I don't think that they're two. So I would like to see um, if it's okay with to make a motion to to adopt the strategic plan and then to follow the recommendations as they're put so, so just to clarify what recommendations are um, well basically the, the options for the next steps what well, let's just adopt maybe just adopt the strategic plan as it is but I think we should really take a look at these steps and kind of do them but we don't need to have that in the same motion I'd rather do those steps after the strategic plan is developed and when we're in the budget part of things. You know, okay. like, because if we're, if we're opening that opportunity for input, we're, we're saying we're still waiting well, well, the strategic to change plan the plan. is what it is. But so, I think people may want to know what's in the strategic plan. It may, like, some of them are point form things and they may want a discussion about what it is. About this. Yeah, 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 that's all. So I think to, to go to Rotary or to offer the chamber to say, we'll come and present our plan. And then you have any questions, we'll tell you what it, what it means and what it means to us. Okay, so your motion again, if you could please. My, my motion is to adopt the strategic plan as it is. Okay. And the second part to in, to engage, to follow up with, with some, with follow up with the recommendations. So, Council, if you just give me a moment, uh, a thought that's popped into my mind. We have not attached the draft strategic plan to this report because it was a request for direction. I would caution on adopting the draft plan until we give you the, the final shiny product, as it were, just to ensure that you've seen the final, final version and you're comfortable with its um, all details of content. Any idea of time frame on that? We can have it for the next uh, um, regular meeting, August. I'm fine with that. Eighth. I believe it's the eighth. I'm fine with that. Well, I'll, I'll <coughs> rescind my motion, but I would like it brought back definitely. Okay, and Councillor Carr, you have a question, comment? Yeah, you had mentioned something about putting it online. I, I was really, as everybody was, I'm sure, very disappointed in the turnout in the public one that we had. Um, I don't know if that's normal or not, but do you expect if we did it online, it would be any different? It, it's so difficult to say. It's You will have engagement for those who find strategic planning a level of importance um, and others that may not. Um, it is possible you'll get further engagement because those opportunities online are done at the leisure of the um, viewer. So you can lay in bed at night and, and read the council strategic plan. You very possibly receive some uh, comments back. You might get um, others who would see it in a different format and be happy to do an online survey. Or even submit a comment would might even be um, an opportunity. So it's possible you'll get more engagement through an online process. A little hard to say 
and I don't want to predict, and I don't want to promise either. <laughs> but it is so definitely it's an opportunity. So if it was to go online, it would kind of be here. Here's the draft plan. Any comments? That kind of thing. Absolutely. We could. There's a number of different ways you could do this. We have done uh, a number of our policies have just had a general comment box. Um, asking for general feedback. Some, um, I think our encroachment policy received a lot of feedback from that format. Was it the encroachment policy? Mm, one of the policies we actually got some feedback. The other two did not receive any comments. We've also set up different uh, formats for feedback with more targeted questions. So maybe we could do it by goal and not each of the specific strategies because that would be a much larger, too, too large of a, a survey. So we could focus it by goal. Yeah. Could we do that fairly quickly so that we fairly. could, yeah. like Dawn said, the quicker we move this along, the yeah. better for budgeting and so on? We probably could get something, and I'm going to look at some of my other administrative staff, sort of mid-August. Caution that I just don't like the idea of delaying our strategic plan into the late fall. In fact, I'm not really thrilled with delaying it much further than it already is. I mean, we've already gone months since it was developed. Um, and I, I'm not sure that we're, we're even considering changing it wholesale. So I don't think you're going to change the overall direction of the strategic plan. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's anything wrong with the overall direction of the strategic plan. Comments we would take any time, always. So, like I say, I don't think it's a dead. I don't think it's a dead document. And certainly, if we're going to budget discussions, nothing's going to be solved for the spring. So you've got you've got opportunities to address areas of that plan as they pertain to the budget all the way from when we have the plan to the budget in the spring. So I'd like to see us adopt the budget sooner rather than later. Pardon, not the budget, probably adopt the strategic plan sooner rather than later. We could, to get the document out in a draft format to get some public feedback, we could do an extremely very simple uh, feedback page. Here's the document, have it laid out in its current format. Um, it's a feedback box that could satisfy a quicker turnaround as opposed to a longer process um, and allow some opportunity for public engagement online and have that feedback all prepared and ready and brought back for the August 22nd meeting. If you'd wanted to do a two or three week public sure. engagement, in, sorry, engagement. So does that delay any budget um, process? Because um, after the strategic plan is developed, there is, I think, to be a discussion about service levels, which affect budget, and so on and so on. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm choking up your strategic plan talk. Um, the other important component of passing the strategic plan is so that your administration can start um, putting together those action plans. And related to each of the potential budgeted items related to them. So August is not too late 
because we'll be starting our conversations on operating budget uh, administratively end of August, early September. So it would, we wouldn't want to push any further than that. So we can have a fulsome budget so, conversation. So in terms of budget, is it, is it possible that we're going to have a very good, pretty decided draft budget in December? Because otherwise we are into after January and we're like we were kind of this year, which <coughs> extended pretty late, but you know, we had council, et cetera, et cetera, so. Your Worship, the, the plan for, by staff is that we're going through creating a budget book, creating a template, laying the groundwork to have something absolutely approvable in the month of December. We hope to have some draft budgets being assembled in September. It may push us a little bit, but the idea, the intent is to have a template going forward uh, that regardless of which staff are here and other challenges we might have, that the groundwork is laid and there will be an approvable budget in December. Okay, thank you. So maybe what we could do, um, someone could put forth a motion to uh, direct administration to either uh, bring the strategic plan back uh, first meeting in August or perhaps to um, uh, put the strategic plan out there for comments and bring the strategic plan back to council at the end of August. I don't know, maybe there's other options. Given the way that the strategic plan is written, um, there's nothing any, like there's, the goals are all, um, they're not specific to like specific events or things. So we can pass the strategic plan at the next meeting. And then when people bring in their suggestions for, oh, when you say a physically connected community, that's what this means to me. So that feedback, because people are going to be specific in their feedback to, to certain things. It's not going to be you know nebulous ideas that, that would actually alter the strategic plan. So. I would move that we bring the strategic plan back for uh, approval at the next meeting and carry on with the suggested method of feedback and then go through that info later in August. Does uh, that motion, uh, is it clear enough for people's understanding? It's really long. I suppose I could shorten that up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a hand. <laughs> um, Mrs. Parsons? Thank you, if I may, Mrs. Mayor. Um, perhaps, I think it would be really great if we could bring the strategic plan back at the very uh, first August meeting and then give administration a time to develop a really well thought out survey plan and then the residents can respond. You get better feedback when you have a well thought out survey plan and then we can get concrete good feedback from our residents and then um, we can bring that plan forward to council for their consideration and have that ready to go so that we can bring that feedback back to like a strategic planning session in the spring. So council can then review that feedback from the community with their strategic planning session and look at their strategic plan again. And then that goes into next year's budget. And then the community has a really good opportunity to look at the plan in the survey 
um, that has been well thought out. But we can get moving on this year's budget with a strategic plan that has had the opportunity to be reviewed by the public and has been well thought out by this council already at this time. So maybe the, the motion could be to um, you know, bring a direct administration to bring forward the strategic plan uh, for review at the next, uh, the first meeting in August and administration to also bring forward in the near future a plan uh, for a survey going forward. Exactly. <laughs> um, and for everyone's information, uh, Mrs. Parsons is the um, uh, new legislative uh, service coordinator. <laughs> so thank you for that. Question. Okay, so Councillor Good. Just a question. Um, it would be for review and approval, probably for re review and, and possible approval at the next meeting or whenever, and then go forward from there with the with the plan as you're talking about. Am I correct? Is understanding that's what you meant? Okay, I'm fine with that. So Mrs. McRoberts, what do you have as a motion? Okay, I have um, Deputy Mayor Scamahorn moves to direct admin to uh, review to, to review and possibly renew the strategic plan at the next meeting. To review and what was that? Approve. Approve? Yeah. Review and renew. No, approve, approve. I think. Yes. Approve. Okay, and was there anything further? That, that actually can stand on its own. Yeah. And men can bring back whatever they like for as far as survey and whatever other options. That's okay, so step one. Yeah. Okay, everybody understands the motion? Deputy Mayor moves to direct admin to approve and renew to re uh, oh now I can't even to review and bring review back. for approval if you want to put it that way, but to review it. The August eighth. Any further comments? Okay then, all those in favor of the motion? Aye. Thank you, it is carried. Okay, onwards to uh, Ms. Bouchard um, talking about the Peace River Brigade landing. Alrighty. So, last month I received a message from a man named Stuart Inglis he is the chair of the Peace River Brigade, which is a subgroup from the uh, National, the Canadian uh, Voyager Brigade Society. And he messaged me looking for, uh, to inform us that he and uh, about 90 to 100 other paddlers are gonna be traveling from the Alberta BC border all the way to our town uh, in a six day expedition and they're their objective is to essentially explore natural history and the Peace Valley and uh, kind of revive or revisit um, old Voyager routes um, in celebration of Canadian history. So essentially, what we're going to do is we're gonna host a little welcoming when they land around 2 p.m. on Thursday the 28th and I just want to reach out and see if 
there is any interest from council to attend. So option one would be for uh, the enabling of members of council to attend the landing for the Peace River Brigade on July 28th and give them permission to land. Um, I think it shows support of local events and to welcome someone to our town. Um, option two would be to decline to attend, which I believe is a disadvantage just for not welcoming new, uh, new people to our town. <laughs> so my recommendation is to enable council to attend and give permission for the group to lend. And I am open to any questions if anyone has any. So I guess the obvious question, if you don't give them permission to land, then what? <laughs> Sail on to the invade. <laughs> yeah, or they keep going, I'm not sure. Good question. It, it is a it, bit of a yeah. Um, yeah. historical norm. Yes. yes. The request for that sounds like fun. Um, also, it does fit with the parts of a strategic plan, I think, which was uh, uh, tourism and that sort of economic kind of development, perhaps, too. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Councillors, questions, motion? Councillor Good? I'll make the motion. I'll make the motion to enable the members of council to attend the landing of the Peace River Brigade on July 28th and give them. Yeah, uh, to give them permission to land at Riverfront Park. Interesting English, but. Thank you. Old English. <laughs> <laughs> Any further questions? So around 2 p.m. on this Thursday. So hopefully members of the public will uh, come out and raw raw too. But um, any um, further comments then? All those in favor of the motion? Aye. Great, okay, thank you. Um, uh, just so I know, who besides me might be able to come to the Riverfront Park? Oh, oh great. great. Yeah, I want to be there. Okay. I'd like to be there. Great. Okay. Um, the other thing I should mention is, remember for last council meeting, the Bones and Relics um, group is landing or coming to Peace River tomorrow. They should be here around 6 p.m. Uh, the plan is to meet at the museum, and we're just uh, finalizing a few arrangements there. They are called Bones and Relics. They start in Calgary, and they come up through, I think, the parks, um, uh, Grand Prairie, Wembley, up to high level, through Peace River, I don't know, coming or going. And so uh, we'll be there to meet and greet and um, get some more people talking about Peace River. So that's tomorrow. And um, any indication as to which councillors might be able to come with me to that event? Great. Okay, thank you. Pardon me? Uh, tomorrow at 6 p.m. is the Bones and Relics at the museum. Yeah. Would okay. you like an enabling motion for that? I think we already have one. one. We have one? Yeah, yeah. Just a reminder, it's on. Okay, then our next um, item, Mr. Websdale, is the property tax auction. And thank you, Ms. Bouchard. Thank you, Your Worship. This is the really exciting part of the council meeting, or at least it is for me. Um, uh, just to give me a little bit of history on the, the recent past of Peace River and tax auctions, it's been a little while since one was held. And so some balances had accrued and built up. And so it was a fairly significant auction in that we went into it with about 
$593,000 in tax arrears. And by mid-July, reduced that to about $245,000 in arrears, of which $200,000 is attributable to one large property. And I just want to stress to Council A that I guess the tax auction is legislatively required. And B, it's a very useful tool for administration and for council to ensure that taxes are paid. It just helps greatly to provide that motivation to property owners to pay their taxes. Otherwise, it, it can get out of, out of hand. Um, I just want to maybe focus a little bit here on a lesson learned that we discovered as we were going through the process. Because a number of these properties have been unpaid for some time, the property owner isn't paying taxes, there's a good chance they're not spending a lot on maintenance. So we discovered some of these properties were more ran down than we had first expected. So that's a little wake up call for us. I have chatted about that with the assessor and we're hoping to see that reflected a little bit in the next reserve prices that come to council for next year. But it also may be a wake up call that there may be opportunities, maybe a good idea to bring in an independent uh, appraisal firm to maybe be more specific on what that asking price ought to be. So they have a realistic reserve so that they actually do sell. So um, any questions on the tax auction process? Deputy Mayor? So you said we were at 593,000 in tax arrears. The balance was reduced to 245, and then you said one more property was paid up on the day. So was that 245, including that property, or it includes the payment on that property? Okay. So full disclosure, there were two properties that were not included in the tax option. One of which had a pending tax agreement that was being proposed to the town, and as a measure of good faith, we removed them from the tax option so that they could pursue financing options for a possible development. So they were not in the auction. There was a second property. Because we were a little rusty in just how the process of the tax auction would be, when the tax notification liens were put on and registered with the provincial government, there was a bit of a miscommunication on which legal lots. And out of an abundance of caution, we removed that property from the tax auction. So there was two properties which were absolutely in arrears and under normal circumstances would be in the tax auction, were not. Total amounts owing on those two properties are around $200,000. So they weren't in the tax auction in 2022. The intent is that they will be in the tax auctions in 2023 as part of a normal routine process. Is, is this whole um, business um, in a policy or directive or it's uh, annual council bring it up or not sort of thing? It's, your worship, it's in the MGA. It's legislatively required. It just simply, for, for a number of reasons, maybe it wasn't the highest priority and it just wasn't done. But I think staff are very clear on the need for it to be done and it will be scheduled and Good lessons learned, more ways than one, I guess. Uh, thank you for uh, all your work uh, going into that, because I'm sure if we haven't done it for a while, it's uh, a little bit of a extra process, shall we say. Um, 
Councilors, maybe someone could um, move the, this um, tax auction results 2022 for information, except for information. Um, I can uh, do that. Oh, th thank you, uh, Councillor Shannon. All those in favor? <coughs> Aye. Great, it is carried. And now, uh, Director Websdale, um, public <coughs> works surplus equipment auction results. Another exciting thing. You are 100% correct, Your Worship. I'm just going to quickly bring up the uh, auction results so that you can see them. Um, if I can find them here, past options. Um, it was just some administrative bookkeeping or cleaning up, if you will. I would like to suggest to both administration and council that auctions be maybe held more often. It's just a really good opportunity to clean up service equipment, equipment that's not being used, equipment for which in many cases we're paying insurance on it, there's plates on it, often it's just parked. This was a little bit of a wake-up call that we had a lot of equipment going around, and so we were we identified these auctioneers, they were at the trade show, and approached us about their services. We went with them, and like every auction, some stuff goes for way less than you think it should. Some goes for way more than you think it should. It's just the nature of an auction. And so all in all, we were fairly happy with the results. And in the briefing note, it talks about some of the lower values there. About $101,000 was net to the town, and the administration placed those into reserves to park them there and to make them available for future purchases or future decisions. But uh, you can see as you, I've got up on the screen here, you can see a lot of it was just a very old stock. A lot of it was non-functional, hadn't been for some time. And just a variety of small items and a couple good size items of vehicles, heavy equipment, and as always, those are the big ticket items. Many of them were quite elderly. We had some stuff here like the Bobcat, 22 years old and uh, this would be a 29 year old loader and just a lot of stuff that we maybe kept a little too long and probably hurt some of the resell and we also had the carrying costs of keeping that inventory around so some lessons learned and uh, all in all a good auction any questions on the process the results so again is this a directive a policy or a maybe we should do this kind of thing. Looks like it's a maybe we should do this kind of thing. We have been, we've had two auctions in the last, additional auctions. Um, I'm going to say in the last four years ish. Uh, we had one out through the airport, um, provided one sort of the administrative components, uh, the staff there. And there was a heavy equipment one a number of years ago. So it's, it is an administrative practice. This one captured just a whole pile of items that um, weren't captured. Previously. So we can reduce our storage needs as well? Oh, if only that <laughs> doesn't work that as way. As quickly as things go out, the space yeah. seems to fill in. But it, it is a pretty standard practice. Um, I think also changing individuals, changing mindset of 
how things work or it, is, it, it I might need that item someday yeah. as opposed to we haven't used it for 15 years so okay yeah. uh, councillors any further comments questions someone care to uh, move the acceptance of the 2022 public works surplus equipment auction results for information Deputy Mayor, thank you. All those in favor? Aye. Great. Thanks again. Okay, thank you, Mr. Webster. And now on to uh, um, Director Bell, um, Peace River Aboriginal Interagency Committee, National Bay of Truth and Reconciliation. Thank you, Your Worship. Um, I wanted to bring forward a briefing note to Council just to make them aware of um, a standard practice we've been doing for over, I'm gonna say about three years, I believe now. Um, what we have done at, at, under the direction of council approximately three years ago, we placed uh, a funding amount within the operating budget for supporting indigenous engagement, indigenous cultural activities, um, and the such it, within the operating budget. The intent was that the PRAC group, which is typically one of the lead organizations within the region for major events, didn't always have to come back and ask that we were participating and supporting uh, existing activities and future activities because there has been some new events and um, um, national days and other initiatives that have evolved over the last couple of years. So we did receive a request from the organization, and I'll have to um, um, chat with the, the member that they don't necessarily have to ask formally through council any longer, um, but administration will be providing a contribution through the existing approved operating budget for Indigenous engagement in support of the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. In addition, uh, town staff will be in attendance for that event and providing supports in other ways and other participatory activities uh, on that day. And then we do anticipate Sisters in Spirit as a, um, a future event, which is October 4th. Um, and I believe that's it for this cycle for the fall. So I just wanted to make uh, members of council aware of this annual contribution and support that uh, you have worked into your budgets. So sometimes uh, the mayor is asked to uh, bring greetings, etc. at these things. So are the mayor and councilor enabled to attend or do whatever here or not? We usually receive a, a more formal request on that item. This okay. was in their sponsorship request at this point and normally closer to the event. There's um, more detail on the event's activities and an invitation to so mayor and council. Yeah. Okay, well it fits within our council strategic plan. Correct. Um, in draft form right now. But um, would someone um, like to accept this uh, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation letter for information? Councillor Carwell, all those in favor? Aye. Opposed? It's carried then. Um, Okay, then we have uh, a CRA uh, GST opinion and Director Webstale by chance. Your Worship, this is the drier part of the meeting. 
I didn't I see there's no attachment here. It was sent out, I believe, that uh, Ruth had sent something out July 8th. It was about 33 pages long. I haven't attached it. It is very dry reading. To give a little bit of historical background, the town had a GST audit where there was a disagreement between the CRA and ourselves on the interpretation primarily around the ICF funding. The CRA has issued now this memorandum and with the intent to replace a technical information bulletin that would be viewed by accountants as they're preparing GST returns, financial returns. And it's a massive document. And it's clear as we read through it that the town situation is just one of many situations of transfers of funds between universities, hospitals, municipalities, not-for-profits. And so there's a lot of information there that wasn't really applicable to our situation, to specifically our ICFs and passing funding back and forth between neighboring municipalities. So we've reviewed it, and I do want to stress that I've, I've looked at it, Sharama's looked at it, Great Town was brought to so as we saw it, we reached out to uh, Northern Sunrise, Northern Lights, to make sure that we were all on a similar page. There was a couple, there was specifically there was two sections that stood out to us as being good. Uh, section 18, and they talk about, it's not just the wording, but it's also maybe the intent and the results of an agreement. As it's set up right now at the ICFs, the intent is to assist a neighboring municipality to provide a, maybe a regional service or a regional facility accessible to everybody within the region. There isn't a lot of strings attached. So if Northern Sunrise County gives us X number of dollars for a capital upgrade, the intent is not for them to have an ownership stake in that upgrade. It's just to make the service or the facility available for everyone. So intent, is significant, more so than the wording, which we interpret to mean that we don't have to go out and reword every existing agreement. What we will be mindful of is in agreements going forward that we revise and update to make it more clear that Section 25 is applicable. And basically, the financially supporting a grantee in undertaking events that benefit the general public. And just continue to stress that. So when we look at that, section 25, it is our interpretation that applies to what's going on with the town and surrounding municipalities, and that's where we fall into. Um, bottom line, we're probably not going to change a lot. We will be more clear in future agreements what is happening, but I think we were just the wrong place at the wrong time when that audit happened to go down. And it's important to understand that we were vindicated that we were right in our interpretation that it was GST exams. Any questions, any feedback from council? So I think this letter is um, sort of the update and Mr. Webstale has gone over the pertinent uh, points. It's good to know that uh, the town processes were essentially vindicated and um, were very thorough. I think a lot of time was spent on this uh, file over a year plus, probably. And at the same time, it helps other municipalities um, with their agreements and um, intent being the issue rather than wording somehow, because wording kind of gets misconstrued. Um, anyways, so, uh, councillors, any 
questions on this? So thank you, thank you again, Ms. McQuaig, in her absence, and thank you, staff, for um, uh, looking into this and keeping track of how it's supposed to happen. Maybe again, someone would move the acceptance of this. Uh, to, what are we going to call it? CRA replacing GST HST Technical Information Bulletin B-067. Thank you, Councillor Good. Um, all those in favor of the motion? Okay. Aye. Good. And just take note that uh, Councillor Scammerhorn has stepped out of the room here for a second. Okay. And next one up, uh, we have reports, and we have the 2022 variance report with Mr. Sharam. And I think everybody uh, refreshed their documents and have this in front of them now. Your Worship, I'm mindful that some of the councillors may not know Alan Schramm, so I'd like to just take a quick minute to introduce him because Alan was out of the office briefly on a leave of absence. He's back with us now. But in that time, we had some councillors arrive. And so I just want to introduce him. He is our finance manager. He has been here. He's a long-term employee. And he has a wealth of knowledge on the coding of our expenses and our budget preparation. And uh, he is here this evening to present a budget variance on our year-to-date. And Alan, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. Webstale, and welcome, Mr. Sharam. Thank you, Council. Uh, tonight, I'm here to um, present the variance, operating variance report up to May 31st, 2022. Um, Councillors who, who were here before are, are familiar with some of the format and, and the information that we try to provide Council through this report. Um, the report itself had to be rebuilt. It had been um, uh, adjusted, and it took a little bit of work to get this pulled together, but it's, it's my intention to uh, provide Council a report every two months, and uh, I will stress to my successor that uh, this information is very important for Council to help them make the decisions as we move forward. So the report itself is to provide uh, Council with information to allow for better planning. This, uh, this report will focus on the discussion of current variances of actuals to budget. As I said earlier, this is for five five month period and um, it, it's to provide uh, explanations to Council for any significant variances. Uh, the, for presentation, uh, the Council have been grouped uh, to reflect the active activities of the service areas as a whole and not individual accounts. In general match, uh, and generally match categories the council is seen within the town budget document. However, monthly analysis is, is performed on individual accounts and reported when variances are identified. So the main categories are salaries, are wages and benefits, contracted services, training and development, supplies and materials, utilities and insurance. Um, we only identify larger variances and we'll comment on those. Smaller ones are usually within the tolerance, tolerance level of the auspices of the entire town budget. And uh, we will uh, identify a lot of the uh, variances uh, 
different ways, and, and a lot of it's got to do with timing issues. In the past, the variance reports were, uh, let's say, uh, smoothed out, um, where timing issues were removed from the variance report, not really reported to council. Uh, it's my philosophy that council needs to see that it's a timing issue, and that uh, administration is reviewing it every variance report, and that nothing uh, falls through the cracks. So, um, <clears throat> moving on to the uh, variances, uh, overall revenues are trending as expected. Uh, most of the variances are timing related. Uh, tax revenue variances uh, at this time, due to uh, not knowing the actual amount of uh, uh, remittance that the province will provide us, uh, the province only pays 75% uh, of the tax notice that we send them, which is approximately $150,000 uh, reduction. So once we get the remittance from the province, uh, their accounts will be adjusted accordingly. Uh, there's a $606,000 um, positive variance, which is uh, reimbursement for fire expenses incurred um, by the town in 2019. Uh, municipal grants is currently showing as under budgeted, but this is uh, due to timing of invoices going out to each of our partners. Uh, the provincial grant budget, uh, provincial yeah, additional grants are under budget, uh, mainly due to the fact that the policing grants have yet to be distributed. Uh, expenditures, there's a, a list of them here. I'll hit some of the highlights. Um, fire protection is currently under budget due to timing. Um, legislature, legislative variances are under budget due to timings, things like the strategic plan, CAO evaluations and conference expenses are examples of budget, budget items that have yet to be completed. Um, the multiplex supplies materials is under budget due to timing. Utilities is currently showing as over budget, but it's expected to level off due to seasonal adjustments. Uh, the pool is currently showing as under budget due to projects yet to be started. This includes slide inspection and repairs, change room petitions, and hot tub uh, inspection and repairs. These projects will be started in the near future. However, uh, Director Bell has informed me that the pool is projected to be over budget at the end of the year due to repairs uh, not anticipated at the time the budget was prepared. Uh, water and wastewater operations are listed separately. And currently, uh, their supplies and materials are under budget because they haven't started their online water and analyzer hydrant and valve replacement and bulk water equipment projects. These are going to be started in the near future. Uh, wastewater supplies are currently under budget. Uh, several projects are in their early stages. These projects include the overhead crane, water clarifier, new furnaces, and PCL replacement. And when I talk about the timing um, uh, variances, when the budget was prepared, some of the monthly charges were identified in, in one month rather than distributed throughout the budget. And I've been tasked with going through that and getting that part of the budget um, 
cleaned up and, and uh, balanced out. So the reports will be a little bit more relevant and cleaner as we move forward. Are there any questions? So, Councillor Roycha. Okay, so when, um, we get our taxes challenged. Do we get a report back from the assessment company on how many dollars we lost? these challenges and the, and the number of challenges every year? The, you mean the appeals? You yeah. Know, the appeals? Um, that is something that we can um, we can uh, definitely get for you for all, for the appeals that we get through the assessment. Right? Do we have the historical data like over the last 10 years how many appeals we got and what they cost us? Um, not at our fingertips but it is, a, is something that we can pull out and pull together for you if you wanted that. I'm just curious as we move forward if they're increasing or and stuff is a, an indicator of what's going on in our community. That's all just for data purposes when we're doing our budget. It varies from year to year and the number of fields depend has been it seems to be a reflection of, of the change in mill rates rather than the change of assessment. Uh, people it's not always people aren't always clear that there's a difference between the tax bill and assessments. So we're hoping that next year we want to set up the assessments separate from the tax bill so they can actually um, maybe get some clarification on, on that aspect of it. Councillor Boychuk, if I could just touch on that topic. I've just been out of the office the last three days, but I, there is an email waiting for me to go into detail on my sit down tomorrow morning on a formal appeal. I think there's two of them that have been filed regarding the assessment amounts. They're the only two formal ones I'm aware of thus far. I know many property owners have reached out to speak with our assessor, with KCL, to have a discussion, but again, only two that I'm aware of. This year was perhaps a little bit gentler than past years. Many people, when they looked at their bottom line of their tax bill, it was very comparable to the previous year. It was a very modest increase, which I think maybe mitigated the number of appeals we would perhaps normally see. So I would say it's probably been quieter in the past years. Like I said, I'm only aware of two, and I don't even know the door potential of them yet. I hope to know more tomorrow. What's the deadline? believe that the deadline is July 31st. I'd have to check the tax notice and see what was put on there, but I believe it's the 31st. And lots of people will wait to the last minute because they can. I think that's correct. So, so uh, just a, a little point I can put across. I usually am signing checks for things, and my recollection is in the last few years that there's very few that uh, go to that point where we're reimbursing, but you'll bring forth some more data for us perhaps, yeah. Councilor Good? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking a look at the online municipal affairs, uh, municipal profiles, and it says that for the years 20, 2019, 2020, and 2021, there were no assessment complaints heard by the assessment review board. That's on the provincial yeah, Huh? But that's to the uh, appeal board. But a lot of the uh, a lot of the assessment changes that might come through, uh, 1305 changes, are where 
the resident disputes their assessment with the assessor with KCL themselves, and KCL might review it and say yes, you're right. So that's done in, but that's that's done internally. Yeah. Right. Just to add to that, Councillor Good, it is more cost effective for us and for the assessment contractor to have a discussion and mutually sure. arrive at a number before the formal appeal goes down. Those can be very lengthy and we are motivated as a municipality not to get to that stage. That's been my experience generally, but we'll see what happens with these two that have been filed. We may be able to reach an agreement of sorts with the property owners before it goes to a formal process. And that, that's kind of the number I was looking at. Not the, not the appeals, but how many people are calling in and getting a reduction on their taxes from our initial tax assessment. What, what's that costing us in a yearly basis versus the budget and what we actually collect? That's kind of the, what I was like. Not the appeal process because I know we can call in and talk to the guy for 10 minutes and you can get a hundred bucks on your taxes usually or, or something like that. And that does add up, it, it does. And Councillor Butchuk, I think we can capture that through the 305 changes and then we can pull a report that will give us some detailed information. So, you did mention that next year you're hoping to um, send out assessment notices. Um, well before the tax notices, what I interpreted? Yes, Your Worship, as a best practice, it makes sense to get the assessments out early, perhaps February, to give the, I think it's about 60 days, I think the MG requires, I'll double check that, so that that part of the process is done, it's wrapped up, and it's just out of the way, it's one less distraction, and then really it's just a matter of the mill rate applied to the assessment value, there's the taxes. It's a, I would suggest it's a best practice that we're seeing much more commonly around the province and even around Canada where they're broken into two separate processes. So we are meeting with Central Square, our software vendor, this week actually, to begin the process of splitting it out to create the forms and the templates such that it would be all in place to proceed for the 2023 tax year. Great. So, um it looks like um, as of May 31st, uh, total revenues were had a positive variance. Am I reading this correctly? Of the 507,000 something or other? Correct. Yeah, and the um, uh, expenses, um, where are we here? What were they? Um, so when it says negative 3.59 million, um, that means we've spent less at that point than anticipated, but like you say, the timing of things is the all-important. Uh, correct, and, and uh, some of the big ticket items that are really slow coming through uh, is um, our um, invoice for the RCMP contract. Um, you know, we budget for when it's supposed to come out, but whether or not they actually get it to us yeah. in time. So instead of, I can go in these reports and smooth it out so you don't see that. I, I'm more, my philosophy is I'd rather you see that it's not there, we can identify, you can ask about it, and it won't fall in the cracks where if it's kind of smoothened out and we don't get it for another you know, four months, we don't really notice it. I'd rather have these things um, be 
be obvious and, and that way one council can see that there are issues like that and secondly um, we're transparent council sees exactly where the books are at at any given time and it's very upfront and open okay and for wastewater revenues of uh, well the variance was a negative 109,000 so we've had less revenue than anticipated at that point in time correct and expenses for uh, water wastewater um, were 486,000 less than anticipated probably due to timing correct great well thank you it looks like a very thorough report any further comments questions or? okay Thank you both. Uh, would someone care to uh, put forth a motion to accept the 2022 variance report as of May 31st for information? Yeah, Councilor Boychuk? Sure. Thank you. All those in favor of that motion? Aye. Great, it is carried. Thank you again. Okay, onwards to um, uh, some information items, Alberta Health Services, the closure of the operating room. Uh, again, this is just another update from the Director of Clinical Operations in Area 2, which is our area. Uh, operating room was again closed uh, due to staffing issues. Uh, the acute bed, the 10 acute bed closure is still expected to carry on into August, again due to staffing. I should mention that myself and um, uh, Councillor Boychuk in his other capacities uh, attended a meeting with the health minister who was visiting Peace River and he's doing his provincial tour of 22 areas or sites uh, today and um, he was asking for input and uh, we all commiserated about um, staffing and um, what can go forth from there. Uh, essentially though um, they are looking at um, scope of um, work for RNs, for LPNs, for everybody in the healthcare system to make sure they're maximizing their manpower. Um, at the same point, they along with other businesses, industries are going through some um, uh, turnover where uh, people might have worked for 20 years in one area in the health system and they see another possibility and so they move over to that area for all sorts of reasons. Um, should mention that at this point in time um, Peace River has either 14 or 15 doctors and a couple of locums that are um, here we want to retain them and so part of this uh, whole issue is if acute care beds are closed if the operating room isn't doing what it can do if emergency is having staffing issues those doctors we want to keep them busy enough that they think Peace River is a wonderful place to live and work and we don't want them to feel that they are underutilized so I realize not everybody has a family doctor but we're keep working at it I know our health care committee is uh, trying as fast as well but we're looking at those other um, health care professions and the allied health care people so you know uh, the, the physiotherapists the eye doctors the whoever you might think is healthcare and how best to do that. He was telling us of some initiatives that is sending out, I think, a report that we will be able to pass along, but it's things like um, considering the possibility that there would be, uh, if I understood it correctly, Mr. Boychuk, um, uh, 
uh, your doctor recommends that you need cataract surgery and they say well uh, the cataract guy down in uh, Calgary can get to you in three weeks the the guy in Edmonton can get to you in six months um, you should go to the, the three-week one and it's uh, kind of up to you to make arrangements to get there and book it am I kind of interpreting it okay yeah what else did you think about this meeting uh, I thought it was great that we had the collaboration of the provincial government municipal government and HS there so it's the right people in the room to make the decisions that we needed so it was a good start like uh, it was mentioned there's usually a lot of talking so we'll see what type of walking we do and, and until then but uh, it was a good start and it was really well managed and uh, we wish it was better attended but uh, it was it's yeah I, I feel positive that uh, we had some good people and high level AHS people from our zone and so it's good to meet them and, and face to face and the minister was listening so that was a good sign too so uh, there's that one, and then um, there's a letter from the Alberta 55 Plus Summer Games. Um, Tracy Hilarowicz and Larry Stewart, facility coordinators, basically thanking um, the uh, volunteers who were managers and chairs of the various um, games. And I would add to uh, his list, uh, Audrey DeWitt, who is, or was, uh, I think, manager of um, registration and results and uh, Maureen and Terry Sawchuk uh, were yeah the, your worship there will be a executive summary right. report that will go to each uh, municipal partner following the games I think uh, Tracy and Larry someone else yes yeah yeah okay For the facilities aspect yeah. absolutely yeah. nope thank you all the volunteers and uh, well, town staff played a major part in that uh, uh, summer games success as well. So thank you as well. Would someone care to accept for information uh, item uh, items one and two of the information section? Councillor Good, all those in favor? Okay, it is carried. Uh, thank you. Uh, notices of motion, Ms. Bell, none? None, your worship. Okay, comments from the public. So the public has an opportunity to comment on items within the agenda for a couple of minutes. I see we have Mr. Sissons coming forward. As usual. Good evening. Good to see everybody this evening. I hope we're all in good spirits and having a good summer. First, in regards to the auctions. Uh, I didn't hear too much in conjunction with how much council was informed previous to the auction about exactly what items that were paid for by taxpayers that we are or are not getting rid of. Uh, I realize that age insurance costs and, and some of the relevant comments are germane, but I think it, I'm going to make the suggestion that prior to these auctions, perhaps we should consider having a report from uh, some of the staff that actually uses this equipment, such as the, the town foreman and uh, relevant people like that, that can make comment on exactly what we're getting rid of and, and why uh, it's justified uh, previous to the auctions, so that all of council is aware of what equipment uh, 
is being sacrificed or, or, or being kept uh, because I didn't hear much about that uh, in conjunction with the auction process. So that might be something that would be suggested by me that council should consider. Uh, in conjunction with the property tax review uh, that uh, Councillor Boychuk brought up, uh, augment to what was said was for the internal process, I would like to see a report from uh, KLM as to how many people actually approached them and how many uh, reductions were actually given uh, to people that did approach versus uh, people that approached and perhaps uh, KLM uh, declined their, their uh, request because uh, Councillor Boychuk felt that all you had to do was sort of the squeaky wheel gets the grease and therefore you could just phone KLM or KCL, I'm sorry, the, our tax assessment uh, people, and you can get an instant reduction just by um, um, voicing your unhappiness. I would tend to say that I myself have involved, been involved in that process with those individuals and uh, would comment that I don't think that that's as easy as he thinks because there's been incidents where I had a conversation with them and in my own individual case was not successful in that process even though my concerns they did listen to my concerns but my taxes didn't change so it's not always that way um, so that would be that for this evening from me I think and I thank Council for their time and attention, and hopefully I made a worthy contribution. Thank you, Mr. Assistance, for your suggestions. Okay, so our next item, uh, key communication items, Ms. Bouchard. Thank you. Uh, the key communication items uh, for this evening, uh, first and foremost, is the strategic plan and uh, you know, engaging with the public and communicating any um, upcoming chances for engagement and working on a plan that aligns with Council's goals. Secondly, the landing for the brigade, um, sharing that, um, as well as the signing of the Memorandum of an Understanding. And I think ending off with the CRA Bulletin replacement um, with any additions that council may suggest, I'm happy to share as well. Good. I guess the other celebration upcoming is boat races this coming weekend, I understand. Yes. So that's a, a nice thing. The river is getting well used yeah, lately. Okay, anything further for Ms. Bouchard? Okay, looks good. Well, thank you again. Okay. So um, I think uh, we're going to take a uh, five-minute break, and we'll come back, and then we're going into closed session, and um, there's one item on that agenda. So five minutes puts us back here at 7 o'clock, let's say. Thank you.